This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity Church. My name is Kyle Colbertson. If you don't know me, I am the pastoral intern here at Trinity. Um, And I'm excited today because we're actually starting a new sermon series following Easter. We're going to be jumping into the book of Zechariah. Um, if you don't know where the book of Zechariah is, it's in the Old Testament. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament in your Bibles today. Um, it's a small book, and yet despite that, Zechariah is actually one of the most quoted books by New Testament authors. Um, but we still don't study it that often. It's within the Minor Prophets, um, called that way because it is so short, um, but not because it's not important. We struggle to study it because, uh, to be honest, it gets weird. Like, we're going to go through these next few weeks and months in this book, and you're going to see prophecies and visions and some crazy stuff kind of coming out, and you're going to be like, I don't really know what's going on. Um, But the beauty of the book of Zechariah is that it's written to Israel following the exile. It's one of the three books in the Old Testament we have that are with Haggai and Malachi that are coming together and talking to this people that are struggling. Um, If you don't know the history of Israel, to give you a Quick summary of 500 years. Um, you start off with the kings. They established Saul and David as their first couple of kings of this nation. We talked about that last year when we went through the book of Samuel, um, if you were here. And then they walk through this period where you get to David's son, Solomon, builds the temple. And it's this glorious place for God to dwell with his people. They're able to live in just the highest element of their reign. And so the people are thinking, this is really great, but it doesn't take long for sin to creep in, and they fall away. King after king kind of goes through this period of all these kings that are supposed to follow the line of David and keep God to him, uh, bring God's people back in covenant relationship, and yet they continue to fail. It gets to the point where the kingdom actually splits up between the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, um, and as Zach actually briefly mentioned last week during Easter, they uh, get both get destroyed. The Assyrians come through and destroy the northern kingdom in the 700s. And then you get about 200 years later, Judah falls to Babylon. All of Israel is taken away in exile and removed from their homeland, and it's a time of exile for 70 years. The prophet Jeremiah actually proclaimed this before they were taken away, that this is going to last 70 years. You're going to be taken away from your land. And so this is a point where Zechariah steps in. It's following the exile. They're starting to come back, and they expect these great things to come back once again. We're going to dwell in this land. We're going to be back to the time of Solomon. Everything's going to be great. And yet they show up. Zechariah is actually writing when they've been there for almost 15 years. They haven't fully rebuilt the temple. They're struggling without a king and without an army. And then they're even, we're told, they can't even grow food on the land because it's so destroyed. It's just become a land of unfulfilled expectation. And I think for us, we recognize this because we're in a period where you've come to know the gospel. God has revealed it to us through his word, and you're so exciting for these future promises that are coming in his kingdom, and there's just this really excitement about it. But as you go through the years, time and time again, it feels like the world kind of chips away at your soul a bit. It feels like these promises aren't being fulfilled. It feels like evil in the world is winning. We look around at a world that tells us that we worship a God who doesn't make sense, who's The Bible is backwards and against our culture that we're well past those ideas of wisdom. We look even within the church and we see leaders that are meant to rule over God's people, churches and denominations failing time and time again in struggles with abuse, spiritually and sexual abuse that we've seen over the last few years. 
and even in ourselves, we feel our souls ripped apart by anxiety and depression, of which is at an all-time high, not just in society, but inside God's people. And so we look at this and we feel this tension that Israel is suffering with, with this unfulfilled expectation. And so we're looking to this word from Zechariah, and it's beautiful because Zechariah is meant to come as a word of encouragement. Zechariah brings a message from the Lord that's meant to encourage his people. His very name actually means Yahweh has remembered. And it's a beautiful image of encouragement to remember that you have not been forgotten by God. But more than that, Zechariah brings, as we're going to see, this message, this reminder of the hope of the coming kingdom. Throughout the book, we're going to see this reminder of what God is doing, what God's bringing in. And as we open up the first few verses this morning, we're going to see the thesis statement for Zechariah. But it's going to be one that comes in the form of encouragement that feels a little off. Because this encouragement comes in an invitation to repentance. And so as we look to see and unpack this invitation to repentance and why it's such good news, uh, we're going to open with Zechariah 1, verses 1 through 6. So I invite you to stand with me this morning out of reverence for God's word as we read that together. And then we'll jump in. Starting in verse 1, it says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. This is God's word. The grass does wither, the flowers fall, and yet the word of the Lord remains. May he bless it for you and for me. You may be seated. So it says in there, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. This is this invitation to repentance. But God follows it up pretty immediately with a warning of do not be like your father's. The generations that have come before you, Israel, don't return and do exactly as you've seen them do. Because everything you're looking around you at this land of brokenness is because of what they did. See, Zechariah and his message from God is to remind them that the exile was not an accident. That it's not this insurance terms of like an act of God where you don't see it coming. But the reality is it's an act of God that was promised from long ago. See, this has always been what was going to happen. God has said from the very beginning when he made Israel his covenant people that if you remain with me, there will be blessing. But if you break this covenant, if you turn away from me, there's going to be curses. See, Moses laid it out pretty extensively in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And if you read all of that, it's a very extensive list of the blessings and curses. But just to briefly go through it, verses 1 and 2, he starts out with, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. But skip to verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Getting to verse 20. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed because you have forsaken me, 
Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Verse 36, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. See, the warning couldn't have been clearer. It's very obvious that the result of this destructive relationship, that these people turning away from God and forsaking His covenant would lead to the exile. Zechariah says this is obvious. So when you see yourself in exile, ruled not by an Israelite king, but in verse 1, we have to use a dating system that would go by a Persian king, Darius. When you look around and you see a ground that is frustrated and you can't even grow a crop, or when you look around and see that you have been cast out, you see that it's because your fathers and the generations before you have forsaken the Lord, even when He's been so gracious and merciful to you. And He has been gracious and merciful. And I think for us, we struggle with this idea of God being gracious and merciful in the Old Testament. I think when we come to the Bible with the New, New Testament, Old Testament, we're like, well, if I'm going to look for God's grace and His mercy, well, I'll probably turn over to the Gospels and the New Testament. If I want to look at God's wrath and hellfire, then I'll go back to the Old Testament. And that's kind of this divide that we have. But Zechariah actually proves that this is nothing but God's graciousness, because if you look at the warning he actually gave, it said, do not be like your fathers whom the former prophets cried out to, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But he says, they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. See, God says here, I came time and time and time and time again. I came to every single one of your fathers. I sent all of these prophets for over 500 years and you wouldn't listen. See, we like to think that 70 years sounds like a pretty harsh punishment. Like 70 years, that's probably a little too much, right? But in the context of the fact that you've been rejecting God for over 500 years, it's really not that bad. The reality is that every single one of the prophets came and said, turn back to God. Every single one of them in each of their books. You look at Isaiah in 31.6, turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. Jeremiah in 35.15, I've sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, but you did not incline your ear or listen to me. Ezekiel in 1830, repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. All the major prophets, the minor prophets, continued the, even before them, the judges saying, turn back to God. And yet Israel would not listen to the point that it's summarized in 2 Chronicles 36, 15, and 16, when it says, the Lord sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. Zechariah wants them to see this is the condition of your fathers and the generations before you. For hundreds and hundreds of years, you've rejected his prophets, you have denied his word, and you've rejected and turned on God. And yet there's good news again. He says the good news comes in this ability to repent because the good news is now is your turn, Israel. Now is your opportunity. God has come once again for you to turn, saying, return to me and I will return to you. See, Zechariah's invitation to repentance is an opportunity to break free from generational cycles of sin. And for some people, for a chance to break free from generational sin feels little. But the reality is for many of us, even in the facts that we don't know, the ability to break free from generational sin is glorious. It's something that 
breaks free and is life-changing. It changes our kids and generations to follow. Because while we like to laugh at how we become like our parents, it's not just in the funny things that we see on the progressive commercials with Dr. Rick. It's not just like looking around and I'm realizing, yeah, I've got a little too many throw pillows on my couch. I probably packed too many snacks for the airplane. I left my phone number at the end of a voicemail when people definitely know it's me calling. I could have just sent them a text. But we do all these things and we laugh at how we become more and more like our mom and dad or our grandparents. And yet the reality is it's not just the comical. It's not just the little quirky things that our parents did, but we have research that shows that we have our sin passed through our parents to us. Studies actually show that genetics are responsible for about 50% of a person's risk for alcohol and substance abuse. Children who experience abuse are 30% more likely to abuse their own kids. Absent fathers make someone more likely to be an absent father themselves, attributing to a statistic that in the United States, there's now one in four kids that grow up without a dad which leads to an increase in poverty likelihood, an increase in likelihood of having children out of wedlock, and an increase in the likelihood to go to prison. All of these things are crippling, and they're all from generational sin. Because generational sin is crippling to us because we don't even see it as we mold ourselves after what we have seen. And so that is why when Zachariah shows up and he says, you don't have to be like your parents. You don't have to be like the generations for hundreds of years that have come before you that have missed this. He says, you get a chance to repent and turn back to God, and it's such good news because it's the gospel. It's the reality that we have a Father in heaven that we can look back to and to see generation sin crumble. See, the reality is, if you have ever heard a story of someone breaking free from generational impact or generational sin, it's something that is beautiful. It's an opportunity to see the gospel break in through repentance and forgiveness. So I actually heard a song this week that would describe it this way. The song's actually called Hope, and it's the reality of what generational sin can lead to. It's by an artist that is pretty open about his struggle with everything from substance abuse, broken relationships, and even a struggle with his relationship with the Lord. And yet he says in the line, he says, having kids will make you really take a step back and look in the mirror. At least for me, that's what it did. I wake up every day and pick up my son, I hold him in my arms, and I let him know that he is loved. Standing by the window questioning if dad is ever going to show up isn't something he's going to have to worry about. That wasn't a shot, mom. I forgive you. I just don't want him to grow up thinking that he'll never be enough. See, those few little lines right there tell a story. And at the same time, that story is both heartbreaking and beautiful. Because it's heartbreaking because you see the impact of his own dad. You see the impact of generations before him and the sin and how it weighs so heavily in so many things that entangle him. And yet you see the beauty of the gospel break in through forgiveness, through this repentance, this opportunity to turn and hold his son, an opportunity to be there in the way that he didn't see before, an opportunity for God to give him another chance to break this cycle for his kids and for generations to follow. So the reality is generational sin is something that is crippling, but the gospel is greater. The reality is that generational sin has crippled Israel in this moment, and Zechariah says, now's your chance to do something different. Now's your chance to look back to God, the one Father that does do it perfectly. Look back to God and to know that you are forgiven. Look back to God and know that He will return to you. All you have to do is turn to Him. Turn to a Father in heaven who graciously provides us with yet another opportunity 
because of His grace and His mercy. But the encouragement of this invitation to repentance is not just the opportunity to not live in sin, but it's even better when you realize that it's an invitation that Zechariah presents as an opportunity into relationship, into covenant relationship with God, when he says, return to me and I will return to you. See, one commentator wrote it this way. He said, for Zechariah, repentance is not foremost a call to change in conduct, but it is an invitation for a positive relationship with Yahweh. It's not primarily about doing something differently. For Zechariah, as he presents this message, it's not about stop sinning and turn away from your sin, but it's more importantly about turning and having a positive relationship with the God in heaven. How beautiful this repentance is. And yes, repentance will entail a change in behavior, but it's not a change in behavior that comes first in order for you to show up and for God to accept you. Zechariah says, first and foremost, you show up in this positive relationship. You turn to God, and you'll see yourself turning away from sin. See, it's not about leaving something else, but it's coming to someone. And that someone is God inviting us to himself. This call to repentance is the display of the gospel in motion. That you are not called to be a better person. That you are not called to do it better, to be better God doesn't show up and say, I need you to stop yelling at your kids. I need you to stop getting so angry. I need you to stop cheating on your taxes. I need you to be a better spouse, be a better parent, be a better Christian. But instead, God starts with a statement through Zechariah that says, simply come to me. Return to me. The message for Israel was when you see unfulfilled expectation all around you, the reality is you can still look back to the one that fulfills every expectation you could ever have. When they're looking around and they're seeing a land without an army and without a God, they're meant to return to the Lord of hosts. This title, Lord of hosts, is one that actually implies that God commands heavenly armies, that God is in control, that he is God Almighty. So you don't need a king, you don't need an army, because you've got the Lord of hosts, Israel. Or Israel, when you look around and you realize you can't grow food, you turn back to the God that has proven time and time again that he can bring bread in the wilderness and water from the rock. Or if you're looking around and you're saying, I'm lost in exile, I'm away from home, you can look back to the Lord of hosts, the one who sees you, who knows you, who's drawing you back to himself, not just to a land, but to a relationship. See, this is the same promise of encouragement that we get to hear this morning. That when you look at the state of the world and we see those entrusted as shepherds inside the church failing, we're able to be reminded that we can look back to God's word and see there is a good shepherd who never fails. There is a good shepherd who goes after the one to bring us back to the 99. That when we look around at a world that is struggling in sin and darkness all around us, we're reminded that we have a God that promises us you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death simply because he is with you. And that when you look around and you see yourself being ripped apart by anxiety and worry, that we have a God who not just promises peace, but a God who is himself the Prince of Peace, is himself everlasting peace. So the invitation to repentance is an invitation to look to God, and it will, in, in, as a result, turn into a turning from sin. Because the reality is the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. So when you look to God, you cannot look to sin because they're ontologically opposed to one another. They cannot exist because they are so different in their existence. In the same way that you cannot look to the sun and see darkness, 
You cannot look to the sun and be stuck in darkness. You simply have to open your eyes and the light comes in. You simply have to look back to God and you see his warmth of covenant relationship coming to you. It's simply looking to the one that's there. It's opening our eyes to this covenant relationship and returning to the one in which there is no unfulfilled expectation. The one that comes to us, the one that doesn't say, be better, do better, but it's simply turn and look to the one that did it better on your behalf. Looking to Jesus, God himself, who showed up for us. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved to die, and he imparted this righteousness to us, bringing us back into covenant relationship. This is the beauty of an invitation to repentance. It's an invitation to look back upon the gospel, and it's an encouragement to look back and to see hope moving forward. See, this is the final piece of encouragement when we look at an invitation to repentance in Zechariah. Because Zechariah's invitation to repentance is followed up, and it is the design of him telling everyone that the kingdom is coming, that you can turn back to God and to see that the one thing that reigns true is what he says in verse 5 and 6. He says, where are your fathers that sinned? They're gone. Well, where are the prophets that did right by God? Well, they're also gone. There's only one thing in this world that continues time and time and time again that doesn't fall, it doesn't fail, and it continues through all generations. And that is the word of the Lord. His statutes and his commands continue. The word of the Lord, which was given and will be fulfilled. He says, Israel, when you look back on the exile and you realize that this is God's word being fulfilled, it gives you hope. It gives you hope because just as God's judgment has come in, you know that means his blessing and his promises are also coming. You know that when he says that a king is coming to reign forever from the line of David, you know that promise is coming and it is surely coming soon. See, the beauty of Zechariah's message as we walk through the next couple months and see him continuing to invite us back to see the kingdom, it's an invitation for us to look forward as well because we know even more so that God's word is fulfilled. See, the beauty of Zechariah is it's at the end of the prophets. It's one of the last prophets to step in and give a word directly from God. And the only thing you realize is once these prophets end, the next person to show up and give that word directly from God's mouth is Jesus Christ, God himself. And so when we fall to the end of Zechariah, the end of the Old Testament, one of the first words you see from God comes from Jesus. When he speaks in Mark 1, it's no coincidence that one of the first things he's recorded saying is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. See, Jesus' very words are an echo of what Zechariah wants to lay out for us throughout all of his book, that repentance is good news, that repentance is a blessing because we can turn back to God and we can know that there is hope for a future, even when the world around us tells us that there is no such thing, that we can look to God and his sovereignty and to know that he is in control, that his word will be fulfilled and his kingdom is coming. So that when we come with heavy hearts over the evil of our world, when we come in the brokenness of not getting what's going on, we see another school shooting and we're broken. We're able to remember that God's word is still fulfilled and that there is a day coming when all evil will be destroyed, when all generational sin will be abolished and there will be no more sin and where we're going to be back in covenant relationship. When we come and we are broken in our hearts over the fact that there's infants struggling with medical conditions and there's no answer. We're reminded of the sovereignty of God to know there's a day coming with a healer and there will be no more pain. We're reminded that there's a day coming when we'll be in the fullness of relationship with him 
face to face, that that kingdom is at hand. And this is the encouragement we find when we're wrecked apart by our own anxieties and our worries, our own struggles and our insecurities, because we're reminded that when this day comes, and it's coming soon, that we will be, have our tears wiped away by our king, the one Davidic king that was promised, the one that ruled over Israel even when they didn't see him, the one that was always the promise coming all the way back from the beginning before there was a king in existence, from the time of Moses, from the time of Genesis, that this God has always been promised and he is coming and we know his word is true. This is the encouragement we find in Zechariah's invitation to repentance because it's an encouragement that not only can we once again experience God's grace and His mercy and turn to Him, it's the reality that when we turn to Him, we know that He will surely return to us. And Zechariah wants us to know this morning that that is our hope amidst a world of unfulfilled expectation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your prophets. We thank you for your words spoken through them. We thank you that even when we are outside of this culture and this context, that we can look to it and see how your word remains steadfast and true. That when we see your word say that the grass withers, the flowers fade, that all of us are passing away, we know that your word and your promises remain faithful. That even though there is darkness around us, that we struggle even on in our inner selves. We know that you are making us more like you. That as we turn back to you, we're able to experience a God that has done everything for us and that will change our own desires and our own wills. That we can come back to your gospel this morning. That you have given us yet another chance because you are gracious and merciful. But you have given us that chance because you shed your own blood for us in order to invite us into covenant relationship so that we don't have to be better, but we can look to a God that has done it for our behalf, that invites us in as his children and who will rule and reign for all of eternity and bring us to himself. Lord, for that we come and we remember your covenant, we remember your word, and we remember the name of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.